Hey all, Jesse here. We're getting near the end of the year. I wanted to thank you for listening to Bullseye. Making our show isn't easy. We've got a very small staff that works tirelessly to book guests and edit interviews and keep things running smoothly. It is hard work that takes time, money, and effort. It's also incredibly rewarding. When I hear that a guest is an NPR listener already, it means a lot. And it means something to know that you're listening as well. So I'll get to the point. If you want to show your gratitude this holiday season, consider supporting the NPR member station in your area. Any amount. It's the single most effective way to keep shows like Bullseye going. It'll make a huge difference to public radio in your community. It makes a huge difference to us, too. To get started with your donation to an NPR member station, visit donate.npr.org bullseye. Or just text the word bullseye to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org slash SMS terms for privacy and text message terms. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Jesse Thorne, it's Bullseye. Catherine Hahn is an actress. She's been in comedy films like Step Brothers and the Anchorman movies, many more. On TV, she starred in the NBC series Crossing Jordan. She also was on Parks and Rec. She played Jennifer Barkley, the political consultant. Lately, she's taken on more dramatic parts. She had a great role on Transparent, the Jill Soloway series on Amazon. Last year, she starred opposite Paul Giamatti in Private Life, a quiet, existential film about relationships, middle age, and infertility. And now she's starring in her own series. Mrs. Fletcher debuted on HBO a couple months ago. Catherine stars as the title character, a middle-aged divorcee whose life changes dramatically after her only son starts college as a freshman. It's sad, touching, sometimes very funny story about sexuality, parenthood, and midlife crises. When we talked in 2017, she just starred in I Love Dick, a TV show based on the Chris Klaus book of the same name. Catherine plays Chris, a New Yorker who moves to Marfa, Texas with her husband, played by Griffin Dunn. There she meets Dick, played by Kevin Bacon. Dick is an artist. He runs an institute in town. He's also condescending and withholding. Nevertheless, Catherine's character becomes infatuated with him and starts writing him letters. Here's a clip from the new series. In this scene from the first episode, the two have just met for the first time at an art reception. Hi, I'm, I'm Chris Krause. Well, hello, Chris Krause. Dick, right? That's me. Uh, heard a lot about you, Dick. Well, love that you just go by Dick because usually someone would, you know, if one is born a Richard, they would rich, Rick, Richie, Ricky, there's so many. Just Dick. Is it possible that I saw you on a horse yesterday? Yeah, I have a ranch just outside of town. Oh. How, how big? Curious. You want to know how big my ranch is? No more polite to ask a rancher the size of his acreage than to ask a lady her age. Duly noted. One quick heads up about what you're about to hear. Uh, Jill Soloway, the television writer, now uh, uses they, them pronouns. And when we recorded this interview, uh, they were still using she, her pronouns. So uh, if you hear Catherine and I using them, that's why. 
Catherine Hahn, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Mm, thanks for having me. I have been interviewing people for a long time, and I've interviewed many, many writers and filmmakers mm-hmm. in entertainment. And the thing that I most am terrified of hearing is this thing that you hear all too often, which is, as far as I'm concerned, which is like, at the end of the day, I'm just a storyteller. And I feel like when you, when I have read or heard an interview with Jill Soloway, the creator of I Love Dick, what you hear instead is like, no, I am not just a storyteller. Here is the ideological framework of my entire, the ethos that drives this entire operation. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing to me and a totally refreshing joy. Yes. Uh, However, I wonder what it's like for you as an actor who has this much narrower and more specific job of portraying a character. Yes, that's an um, that is an awesome question because it it definitely did come up. I knew going into it that um, I'd never heard of the book before that it's based on the I Love Dick by Chris Krause. But obviously, there is a lot of you know it's it's lauded as a feminist cult classic. It's inspired like a, so many women. It's it um, it's an incredible book itself. Um, so I and I also knew that she wanted to explore the female gaze. Who gets to talk and why? Which is a quote from the book. Um, th- there was a lot of of big politicizing around this. So you're right. As an actor, my job, like as Chris Krause had said, when she was writing the when she was putting to, when she was writing the letters to the actual Dick, when she, you know, back when this was, you know, she calls it autofiction. Back when she was writing these actual letters to this actual man named Dick, she wasn't thinking of it as a feminist book. <laughs> you know what I mean? She just had an urge to put it to put her thoughts to pen and to, I mean, to pen, exactly, to paper. And um, so in the same way for this, I had to really like just ferret (laughs) into this kind of myopic tunnel that was, you know, that was, you know, it felt like this pinprick light at the very end of it was Dick. Um, This, this, you know, cowboy image played by, you know, Kevin Bacon in, in our show. So yeah, that was the only, I couldn't, if I stepped outside of it, there was too much of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Also, I didn't want there to be, and I don't think any of us wanted there to be any kind of halo around this, about, around this character Um, that I just, you know, the, the thing that attracted me most to the material is that it was just, she was so without apologies, so uh, without shame. So troublesome, <laughs> totally contradictory and maddening, you know, hilarious, so messy, all the like delicious stuff as an actor, d- something from to chew on. And so I, I just didn't want to, you know, I don't think any of us wanted to like put her in any sort of pedestal in any way because it would have detracted from like the guts of it for sure. Have you ever had the, uh, any kind of corollary experience or, or any experience that you drew on when you were thinking about or preparing for this to um, your character on this show's interest in slash obsession with, sort of odd specific obsession with Dick? Like, have you ever been that into somebody? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you start back at the very beginning and you think, oh, I wrote a diary. You know what I mean? Like, what was that need Hmm. to have an addressee to put all of my most intimate thoughts? You know what I mean? Whose diary? I would certainly say I had a big old crush on Jesus when I was in Catholic school. I'm not going to lie to you, and that we we put that <laughs> in, we put that into the show. But he was like, there's, he, yeah, there's some sex Jesus in the show. There was he definitely was a uh, food for thought for my. I was in love. 
I mean, I've had, you know, it's so intense. Wore a little bride outfit <clears throat> when I got, you know, from my first communion, you know, got married. Um, so, yeah, that was a big one for me growing up for sure. Um, and, yeah, there is just like it is. It's just an interesting, you know, it it is you just. There is something about like that looking um, for res- just res- not only just respect but respect, but, you know, to feel attractive, to feel looked at and get that kind of approval from, in my case, as a cis, you know, white, straight woman from from, you know, whatever, whatever Dick means and quotes around it, then, yeah, of course, of course, many times. I feel like I've read Jill Soloway talking about the reaction that she had that many people she knew had to. Uh, reading the book, which was, I want to go out and make things, and I want to go out and um, do a- adult activities. And um, <laughs> I don't know. When you say adult activities, I imagine shuffleboard. <laughs> You're just like, what, tax returns? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm talking about rom- amorous, romantic, amorous yes. activities. So Fine. Uh, I I think that w- one of the things that Jill Soloway's work has often focused on is um, reversing the male gaze, and part of that is about uh, or asserting the female gaze, and part of that is about the simple fact that you know women are taught to experience uh, sexuality culturally as their own sexuality as something that is almost received. Right. Um, yes. And so that your character, uh, Chris, is able to um, just assert her, like have a sexuality that is about her choice and her go- looking outward is a big deal. And that is deeply tied in with the idea of the assertion that one is an artist and not mm-hmm. just the subject of art. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to, she, she is demanding to, yeah, she's to drive her own narrative also, but you know, and she's a complicated character, which I love about it too, is that again, talking about the halo, like she's dismissive of other women's work. Like she's petty. She's really jealous. Like she's, I mean, she's, a, she's a total complicated, awesome mess. And that's a, also what I love about, Jill's work, what I've always loved about it is that she has an ability to step outside and, and just kind of a little bit make fun of pretense or any kind of, if, if preciousness starts to like sink in at all, she has a, a way of diffusing it, which is always like, I really appreciate. Because this is pretty pretty heady stuff. I want to talk to you for a minute about what is special about your relationship with Jill Soloway, because, um, you know, besides the fact that she gave you the lead in a movie in Afternoon Delight um, and obviously values what you do well. What is different about the actual process of being on Jill Soloway's set, whether it's television or movies, from being on the set of, you know, an NBC sitcom or a, a broad comedy movie or any of the other many things that you've done? Well... I've certainly had like many fulfilling creative experiences as um, as an actor, but there is something about this world because this is now my third uh, rodeo with her. For the most part, it's the same core crew since Afternoon Delight, same DP. Uh, this man, this man uh, Jimmy Frona, who's 
un- unbelievable. He's like and family at this point, and you know he's so instrumental to the making of the thing. I c- can't even describe it. And for the most part, the same editors kind of work on all of them. And so they know exactly what they're looking for and what to kind of mine. It's different because there isn't um, there isn't a division of like cast and crew. I can't describe it. Like usually you'll start something in a normal set and you'll rehearse it. Crew will come in and throw down marks and then they'll give it to the crew to light and then give it back to the cast. So that there's this weird kind of like energy shift between the cast and the crew as the day goes on. And in this, it kind of everyone starts on the same like same kind of democratic playing field. It just feels like the great equalizer. And so everyone, you start the day feeling like you've set an intention of what we're all going to make together. It's the same like I come from the theater. And it, so it just feels like sa- common sense, like, like, you know, the circus feeling like we couldn't, you know, if we weren't there for the guys setting up the tent, we would, you know, you know, we couldn't do it. The show couldn't go. So we all know that we're in it together. And that kind of like putting on a show in a barn feeling for some reason you just the stakes go away from it and you just you say you feel like you're completely without fear I don't know if that makes sense at all like you just feel like it's such a creative safety net you don't feel like someone with a stopwatch freaking out wringing their hands together panicking that we're not getting something like you don't ever start a scene thinking oh I'm gonna get it wrong ever like you just you just start and you find it We'll wrap up with Katherine Hahn after a short break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars and used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at sierranevada.com. This week on Ask Me Another, we challenge singer Paula Cole to a game about birds, but not before she quizzes us. Uh, Morning Dove. Yes. This and more on NPR's Ask Me Another. Listen now. Hey, it's Jesse. The year is drawing to a close. And remember that now is the perfect time to give to your local NPR member station. You can make a difference in your community. Keep public radio going by giving at donate.npr.org bullseye. Again, that's donate.npr.org bullseye. And thanks. Dead Pilot Society brings you exclusive readings of comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Patton Oswalt. So the vampire from the future sleeps in the dude's studio during the day, and they hunt monsters at night. It's Blade meets the Odd Couple. <laughs> Adam Scott and Jane Levy. Come on, Corey. She's too serious, too businessy. She doesn't know the hokey pokey. Well, she'll learn what it's all about. <laughs> Busy Phillips and Dave Keckner. Baby, this is family. My Uncle Tell, who showed his wiener to Cinderella at Disneyland, is family. Do you want him staying with us? He did stay with us for three months. And he was a delight. <laughs> a new pilot every month, only on Dead Pilot Society for Maximum Fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Katherine Hahn, the actor and comedian. She's been on Crossing Jordan, Parks and Recreation, Transparent. She also has her own show on HBO these days called Mrs. Fletcher. 
When we talked in 2017, she just wrapped a miniseries for Amazon called I Love Dick. Dick, by the way, a character played by Kevin Bacon. I want to play another clip from I Love Dick. And um, this is also from the pilot episode. And Chris, um, I guess Catherine Hahn's character, is having dinner with her husband and with Dick. And they've just gotten to the restaurant. He was already sitting there. And Dick is, uh, as we listen in, about to pull out a chair for Chris. Hmm. Um, and Chris is, uh, not unlike me right now, distinctly inarticulate. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, hi. Found it. Yes. At long last. The only one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow, see, this is a, a, real, a real gentleman. Don't you dare yank this out, make me fall on my I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a, just a dumb joke. Oh, wow. Here we go. They only have a tasting menu tonight. Hope you're okay with rabbit. Oh, great. I love rabbit. I'm a big game eater. I've never seen her eat game in my life. Well, I'm not... I'm not... I don't eat... I'm not... All right. Okay. Not big, 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 big game eater. I'm a big little game eater. <laughs> like, I, I love... Cornish hands. <laughs> that's a, that's pretty much as big as the uh, as big as the comedy gets in the show. Yes. Um, I don't know. There's a couple of. <laughs> are you aware of sort of modulating your comic tone and comic instincts? You've done so much great work doing big comedy. And uh, you've also done a lot of work as a serious dramatic actress. And this was really, this is a, a really on the edge of those things. Yeah, it's a different gas on the pedal, for sure. I'm about, I'm about to go start Bad Moms too, and that's obviously going to be like a different um, amount of gas. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it this also just felt, uh, it, because the stakes were so, I don't know, it's like there were, it didn't, sometimes you know when something's funny and sometimes you don't. And I, I, or you're not aware until afterwards of how it is, like how it was caught, I guess, by the camera. And so that happened a lot in this, in this series for me that I, I sometimes feel like I'm pretty in control of laughs, but in this one, it was like, oh, like I didn't really, I was out of control of some of the laughs in a good way, I think. But did you think you were funny when you started acting? I knew I was a class clown for sure. And I think it was like I grew up in a house full of boys. And I think that that was like, you know, it was Fart Joke City, USA. That was just like how we, you know, like talk to each other. But I think um, I went to school not thinking I was going to be a com I mean, I, you know, I didn't do sketch. I didn't do improv or anything like that. I thought I was, you know, I was always the class clown, I guess. But I didn't go into it wanting to be a comedian. Did you have any of that same reaction working on this that people sometimes describe or reading the book that people sometimes describe having when they read I Love Dick? For sure. I mean, I had never I had never heard of I Love Dick before um, Jill, you know, had suggested it. And I couldn't believe I hadn't heard about it before. I was couldn't put it down. I just, yeah, I think Jill has described it this way, and I feel really similar. Like, you just put it down, and you're like, I, you just feel inspired. You just want to make something. You just really want to make something. And and it's just, that's an exciting um, 
yeah, it just felt really bombastic. It felt like it just what I love. It just felt so punk in the way that it was like, here's this woman that is unapologetic. She is without shame. She's so contradictory. She's so maddening. Like you really want to like read the book through like, you know, your fingers at certain points. It's so cringy, which is like kind of how I love my comedy anyway. And so bombastic and so loud and so vulnerable. Then there's a power in how like raw it is and how vulnerable it is that that there is, um, it's impossible not to feel kind of galvanized by it. It's also just feels somewhat radical that the the book I'm talking about, like it just feels somewhat radical that it was out of this like really embarrassing set of circumstances, like the failure of her film and you know, kind of being the wife of a Holocaust scholar, like being financially dependent, just like not like just through these horrible, embarrassing embers of this like horrible failure that she is able to use that as and as her like source of inspiration. And it's like, you you know, she's not pretending to she doesn't not own it. Which I think also feels really good. And there's a lot. I think it's a really human thing. It's like, you know, failure that it's through that like horrible abject failure that it's that you find sometimes the there's the embers burning in that that you have to have it. Are you yourself a shameless or a shameful person? Oh, I'm recovering Catholic, so I'm for sure shameful. <laughs> of what are you shameful? <laughs> I mean, I'm just one of those peeps that at the end of the night I'm like, oh God. Uh, did I sit? What did I, you know? Uh, I used to be, and I used to be much more concerned with how it was perceived, or, or you know what I mean? Like, and just as I've become older, I've just certainly and become a mother, and I've certainly got, you know, a big case of the screw it's for sure. It just is less or less important. Like you're, you know, what becomes more important because I, I just wish that I had read this when I was, when I was 20 years ago because it, it does release you from the good girl idea, you know, whatever that means. For sure, I spent a lot of time trying to be something that I wasn't, or I've, as I've tried to describe it before, I think I was like pretending to be normal instead of just like letting our own individual freak flags fly. <laughs> it's like that there's actually some that I, you know, wish I hadn't been trying so hard to meet some sort of totally unachievable like expectation that I put on myself for sure. But also like societal, like, you know, that your worth is how you're viewed attractive wise, all that crap that like you just realize is such nonsense and put on us from something else. Can I ask you about being a parent? Yeah. You you have two kids, Mm -hmm. right? Two kids? Two kids. Yeah. Seven and 10. And um, I know because my wife does a podcast about parenting mm-hmm. that that especially for mothers, it's easy to lose your sense of self in parenting, mm-hmm. or it can be. And that seems to me like a a related theme to the themes of I Love Dick to assert your own identity in the context of a family and in, in the context of a world where, you know, in sometimes sometimes the world is defining you and sometimes you are defining yourself in relationship to someone else, which is to say your kids. Hmm. And I wonder if you ever felt that way about being a parent, that you, you know, that you lose yourself in your kids. 
certainly early on for sure like you can't even see you can't see clearly i would like have these phantom i remember having like phantom these nightmares where i would just like wake up and clutch at my chest because i had thought that i was holding my son and he had just fallen off the bed and he was like no you know he was in his little co-sleeper totally fine but yeah there was it feels like a, a, a limb like a phantom limb or I don't even know if your wife remembers this, but I, re- I really do remember having like phantom baby feelings after they were born, both of them still feeling like I'd feel them in my tummy kicking around. It's a trip. My, I feel like my creative life, sorry, I'm stuttering because I'm trying to word it, but I feel like weirdly enough, like my whole self creatively kind of, I didn't feel like I was like really bringing my whole self to the table creatively until after I had kids. And maybe it's also because that's when I hooked up with Jill Soloway. And we started working together and she saw something in me that no other director really had given me that chance to do before. But I certainly feel like creatively it's been um, I am so much the richer for it. And I don't know why. Like it, I, I am, I'm, I'm still trying to like connect those dots because I, it does feel like I have I'm grateful and I feel like I'm like lucky enough to have an outlet for a lot of those feelings where I know a lot of women don't. You know what I mean? Like I, I just and I I know that those feelings have to go somewhere. And so I I can also understand like and, and have a deep empathy for people that lose them, that all that energy goes into the, the child because they don't have another uh, outlet for it. And so I get it from all sides it's also like a really quick amount of time which I didn't anticipate that I mean I don't know if your wife feels this but that you're actually like I don't know they're seven and ten and the thing that they never tell you that I was really surprised by is that they just need you more and more every year like I always thought the hard part was going to be the real real beginnings and then like once we laid the foundation but it turns out they're they just need you more and more I'm so like I, it, it is constant mourning for me that of like missing the day that just happened because it's like you're like instantly nostalgic for like yesterday because it goes so fast. Like I remember specifically like spooning my little boy when he was like three and being like, oh, God, I don't have that much more of these. And now that's like, you know, now he's like, um, can you close the door? I'm going to take a shower. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> totally understandable. But also like, oh, my God, that's just just that just happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that ans- I don't know if that answered your question in any way, but it is. It, yes, of course you can lose your. Yes, of course. But I also think even if you didn't have children, like, and that was not in your cards either, because you just for whatever the reason you're a, a woman without children, which is, you know, I think that there is like that there is something about us, you know, a reckoning of a certain age of just looking back and being like, for any of us, you know. It's also just like being in the 40s. Can we talk for a minute about you being a kid borderline romantically in love with Jesus Christ? Yeah. Can you describe the circumstances, I guess? Sure. I mean, it's also, you know, Jill's used a bunch of, you know, of course, because it's the Jill and the writers. We This is something that we mined for the show as well for Chris Krause because we all found it like, you know, very compelling. And there's so many like, be, I can't remember the name of that nun. There's like a famous nun that wrote basically love letters. Yeah, no, I think it was just because he was like, you know, really cute and he all <laughs> and he, was, he was really kind and like decent eyes. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, I remember going to a sleepover party when I was oh, third grade. And there was like, you know, I went to the school that was like pretty culturally Catholic, if I can describe it that way. Like it was kind of the cheapest private education, but it was also culturally like important to my family because that was like socially the network that they had. So they knew everybody knew each other. And it was but, you know, we went to mass every week and it was like, a you know, when I was confirmed. I went, you know, I went through all of it. But in third grade, I went to this to a sleepover at my friend's house and. There were a couple girls that we didn't know that were friends of the birthday girl from like another, you know, from her preschool or something. And these two girls were really, really, really deeply religious. And they couldn't go to bed without praying, like the two of them side by side, like on their knees, praying very deeply. And I went up and I like pretended to be as deep into it as they were because it looked so (laughs) romantic. Like they were just so, so I was like, you know, hands together like look like really furrowed brow just like really talking to Jesus like not really knowing what was going on but just knowing that it lo- I was really into that amount of passion and that amount of just that amount of passion <laughs> and that amount of faith like was pretty intense to me even though like half of me was kind of like my knees hurt <laughs> Catherine I'm so I'm so grateful to you for coming on the show thank you so much for doing this oh my god this was really really fun uh thank you Catherine Hahn from 2017. She's currently starring on Mrs. Fletcher, which you can watch now on HBO. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking beautiful MacArthur Park in Los Angeles, California, where... A woman has been feeding birds at the lake, except that every time she reached into her bag to give them seeds, she'd raise her hand up high and slam the seeds down like some kind of wizard making a smoke bomb or possibly like a bird Emerald Lagasse. Bam! Show's produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's the one who wrote that Emerald Lagasse material. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We have help sometimes from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellows are Jordan Cowling and Melissa Duenas. Our interstitial music is by DJW, Dan Wally. Our theme song is by the great British band, The Go Team. Our thanks to them and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that song. You should buy their records. They rule. One last thing. We've got a lot of interviews in two decades of Bullseye. They're all online at MaximumFun.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube is an easy way to catch an interview that you missed uh, or if you want to share an interview that you missed on social media, we we put them all there on YouTube. Uh, Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on any of those platforms. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 